when there's no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. Shut up. We need to act. Who am I? But nobody knows that. Except you and me. It's all a little secret. You gotta stop fighting it. Go with the flow. Don't be so stiff. Listen to what your arm's saying to you. What's my arm saying? Right now, it's saying, have another drink, old buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody, and welcome to No More Room in Hell number 41. This is also our first episode of 2022. I'm going to call this the little episode. Episode that couldn't because I think this is our third try at recording it. We just had life issues come up where we had to postpone it, but finally it has come. I know people have been asking, hey, uh, for did an episode 40 come out like a month and a half, two months ago? Uh, yes, that's true. And I think for the most part, you know, we just kind of ran up against the holidays where I think. The first postponement was just a decision with everything going on at the end of the year. Let's push it back. And then other stuff came up and it just made sense to kind of hold off on it. But it sounds like, you know, with the new year, um, we're just about through the first month of 2022. It's it's about that time where things start picking up again going forward. So we are back and hopefully from here on out, we'll be get, getting them out regularly again. So... Uh, yeah, this uh, episode was my picks, and I, I can't even remember between the last time we put out an episode and now if like I, we even said what movies we were doing on social media or what. Because I know Derek sometimes you'll post uh, like oh coming soon with like the pictures of the movies, and maybe you did that when we were initially about to record. I it, think we I did. I don't. He did it recently, actually. Though. I I thought you did it like within the last week or two. I saw you post Mad Love. Maybe, maybe it's been a maybe. while. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So with that said, yeah, this episode, we're going to be recording discussions on mad love and body parts, which of course we will get to in our final segment of the show. But let me start off by introducing the co-host same, uh, as before new year, same co-host. We'll start with Mr. Venom, Jerry Cortez. What's up, Venom? How are you doing? Greetings and salutations, body part swappers. Yeah, I am doing pretty good. And even though it's the same co-host, Mike, since it's a new year, I've developed a new kind of hate towards you. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> nice. It's, it's called development, you know, character development. I'm there you go. It's, it's, it's my art. In. I, yeah, I'm only at the start of my character arc, so we got years to go. See, now that you're doing more shows again, it just reflects how much you hate me because you're like, oh, see all these other co-hosts that I don't hate. It just shows me how much I hate my. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, the other co-host on the show should be familiar with everyone as well. It's Derek. What's up, Derek? How are you? I love you, Michael. <laughs> oh, look okay. at that change of pace there. <laughs> really? What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> I'm in a good mood today. <laughs> nice. Good, man. 
it's uh we are well i guess we are recording this with the uh conference championship playoffs going on in the background so i guess uh people might be happy in a good mood depending on what team you root for and what they're doing today or could be in a horrible mood my team's not even in the playoffs so i don't i don't really care that much either way although i do live in um 49er fan region so i fully expect if you know the Niners end up winning if we're still I don't think we'll be recording by the end of the game but I fully expect if they do win that there's going to be like celebration noise going on all over the neighborhood Hmm. let's see (laughs) I live in LA I wonder if there'll be noise here if another team wins hmm oh you you live in LA so everyone just decided they like sports like this morning when they're like oh our team no, we got lots of Rams. I, I am not personally a Ram fan. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a solid Raiders fan, tried and true all my life till the day I die. Uh, but, you know, with the Raiders eliminated um, by the Cincinnati Bengals, who, by the way, you know, punched their ticket into the Super Bowl today. Congratulations, Cincinnati. Um, since the Raiders are out of the playoffs, I will support any Southern California team that's still in there. So, of course, with the Rams playing the 49ers as we speak, why not? I, yeah. I would never I would never consider myself a Rams fan, but whatever. It's something. Yeah. That, <laughs> well, yeah, and there's, I was going to say, there's probably still a lot of Rams fans holdovers from when originally before they left L.A. Oh, um, yeah. You see a lot of those powder blue 70s Chargers, uh, excuse me, um, L.A. Rams jerseys. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> they were. If it wasn't for like the Niners being so good in the 80s, I think the Rams like cause the Rams had a uh, handful of like good seasons yeah. it's just that the Niners were so good in that decade that they just couldn't get through them yep. yeah in, in my state it's like yeah but ne- maybe next year <laughs> and, and haven't you, you had been, enough you've had enough over that hey, you know I'm not even that angry because you know I remember living in a period when the Patriots weren't winning either you know oh, oh that was my childhood yeah that was the yeah. 70s and 80s in, Bill, Bill Parcell and fucking Drew Bledsoe years you know <laughs> damn right oh I, I go back to like uh, Tony Eason when they went to the Super Bowl the first time in 86 and, and got yeah. destroyed by the Chicago Bears <laughs> Yeah, well, well, like where I'm used to it, I don't get mad either. You know, it's not like these other fucking police yeah. people that we hang with. Fucking that team didn't fucking make it. Fuck the Patriots. Fuck them hard. <laughs> Fuck them. Fuck them. You know, <laughs> it's not. It's, I'm not like. Fuck Tampa Bay. Fuck them. Fuck Oakland. You know, I'm not like that. You know, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I don't really hate anybody either, but obviously. Uh, the Raiders have a bad history with the Patriots. A couple, you know, there's the uh, the the Tuck Rule game, the uh, the field goal in the snow game, uh, we, we, a couple of playoff games. I think even back in 1970, the Patriots and Raiders had a playoff game that uh, ended controversially. So, yeah, we have a little bit of a history. Not much since we're not in the same division, but definitely yeah. some playoff history. But no hate. I, I don't hate. Mr. Venom doesn't hate much. Just bad horror movies. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah cool um all right well uh we will move right along then to our kind of catching up segment with what we've been watching usually we limit it to three but we haven't recorded in so long i imagine there's tons of just stuff we've been watching playing whatever since the last episode so obviously we're not going to try to go on for hours about what what we've been watching but 
I really don't mind if we do more than normal. So, Venom, I'll kick it off with you. Uh, catch us up on... I, I guess we'll just make this like a what the hell have we been doing in the last month and a half segment. <laughs> really, um, it's been a while, so give me something. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, aside from stuff that we've been talking about on Fresh Cuts, because, of course, Fresh Cuts is still, you know, putting out our episode every week. Um, let's see. One of the first things that I watched uh, for the first year is called The Kindred. It is a supernatural thriller. I guess it's okay to call it a horror movie. It's not necessarily going to be the scariest thing you've ever seen or um all that terrifying but what i love about this movie is james cosmo i anybody who knows james he's my spirit animal oh my god and he is fucking spectacular in this film he makes this movie what it is um up until i saw a movie this week this was actually my number one horror movie of 2022 out of all eight of the <laughs> movies I've seen, uh, which obviously isn't saying much, but um, yeah, th- th- this one really spoke to me. Uh, once again, it's a slow burn. It is a kind of starts out as a kind of haunted house supernatural film. Um, it kind of remains in that uh, vein for the majority of the film. And then when we get to the end, it kind of turns into a, something a little bit different while still keeping that same feel that it had all throughout the film. But yeah, it's basically about a woman. Uh, she's suffering from amnesia after waking up from a year-long coma. And when she wakes up, she has a child that she did not know she had. Uh, apparently, uh, just before she went into this coma, she w- she had gotten pregnant and had her pregnancy basically while she was in a coma. So, like I said, a pretty shocking setup to start with. Um, and, and then it just kind of goes from there where the woman, you know, doesn't really feel comfortable with the child because, you know, like I, someone just handed her a baby when she woke up and said, hey, this is your daughter. Enjoy. You know, <laughs> so, so it kind of goes from there. The movie kind of sets up as like it might be mom's mental health, like a lot of the stuff that she might be seeing might be, you know, some mental health issues. But then the the movie takes a cool turn uh, right at the start of the third uh, act, which I will kind of leave my plot points at that because I, I think this is one that should be watched. It's not going to speak to everyone, folks. It's not gory. It's not, you know, ultra scary or suspenseful. It's just a really good story, at least in my opinion, acted out by some really great actors. Samantha Bond plays our main female character. And then, of course, like I said, James Cosmo just absolutely owns this movie. So um, it, this movie's uh, directed by Jamie Peterson and written by Christian J. Hearn. Um, not ultra familiar with either of those folks, but yeah, if you get a chance to check out this movie, ignore the 4.7 that it currently has on IMDb. I, it, that is just disgustingly low. I understand why a lot of horror fans might uh, call, you know, give it a low score because, as I said, it's a very slow burn. I thought the ending was satisfying. I thought that the the finale was worth all the wait, but I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with that. So if, you, if you're a fan of slow burn supernatural thrillers, I can't recommend enough The Kindred. It is currently available on VOD, so check it out. I'm going to assume neither of you gentlemen have seen this one yet. No, but it sounds like a crazy version of Mark for Death. <laughs> potentially i could kind of see that <laughs> yeah i haven't seen it yet um i remember you mentioned it either when we were doing fresh cuts or just like mm-hmm. an off podcast conversation and um i kind of sh- i have it on the list i just 
Oh, I wasn't sure because since um, it seems like most of the thing or anything that was like potentially going to be theatrically released at this time of the year got pushed back. So I was like, well, if we end up rotating that in for fresh cuts, I'll wait to watch it for them. But now that we're starting to get like a pileup of more things available, if I might just go ahead and watch it regardless because it, there's a chance we just don't even cover it on fresh cuts because there's so much to choose from now. But uh, and I remember. I can't remember when I saw or when I was at the theater, I got a trailer for it. Or if I just remember saying it was getting like a very, very limited release because um, it was never in the theater here. But I assume maybe down there you got like very like a, a week of screening or something like that. I'm not, I'm not sure, but uh, it, it, it yeah. probably played in some heroin addict filled theater here. Oh, here in L.A., definitely. <laughs> Homeless guy pissing in the aisle. Yeah, I guarantee he saw the kindred. Yep. <laughs> it's like that movie the last man <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> all right derek what do you got up first okay i usually don't talk about newer things but i will today i watched the first two episodes of this south korean show that's on netflix called hellbound Ooh. it was very intriguing to me because pretty much the opening of the first episode of this is this dude like uh, in a cafe and all of a sudden these giant demon creatures just pop out of nowhere. They look like kind of like the fucking yetis from the mummy fucking tomb of the dragon emperor or whatever the fuck that is. (laughs) (laughs) And they just come and just tear this dude apart in front of everybody else. And that's, that's how it starts. And it's pretty much the we're following the police investigation of what's going on, what are these creatures, where they come from, where they go after they're gone because they vanish in midair. And it's being connected to like a, from what I've seen, like this religious cult that are foretelling of these prophecies of the end of days. Hmm. But uh, yeah, that's all as far as I got in it. Uh, it it was interesting. I like the the investigation stuff a lot in it. Uh, the creature stuff is might throw some people off because some of the CGI, wow, <laughs> South Korea and their CGI. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. I'm curious to see where the show goes, but uh, yeah, it was kind of bloody that. First kill was fucking brutal as all hell. I was like, whoa. Wasn't <laughs> expecting that in the first eight minutes. But uh yeah, it's Helldown. Check it out. It's on Netflix. Nice. I'll check it out. Cool. Yeah, I definitely heard about that one. And there there's another um I thought there was another Yeah, something like my like friends are all dead or something, or everyone. There's a bunch of South Korean shows on there that I just There is, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's uh, funny. Ever ever since Squid Game blew up now it's like all the other Korean either zombie or just horror shows, they're like suddenly moving to like the front page where like before they might have been on there but like tucked away somewhere that you had to seek them out or already know that they were on there. But now it's like, nope, we're gonna start featuring these because maybe they'll blow up and be super popular and drive subscriptions. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or like all uh, of us, all of us are dead is the one I'm thinking of that also dropped on Netflix, and it is also I, a foreign uh, zombie mo- uh, series. Okay, I'll have to add that because I didn't see that one. But uh, I did add like it's it's some kind of science fiction show with a 
the dad from Train to Busan in it. <laughs> like, oh, mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to watch that one because I'm like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, uh, so first up for me, it was it was going to be brought up regardless, but I'll bring it up first because Derek kind of referenced it really quick, and that'd be the last broadcast. Um, I'll, I'll probably I'll probably list off a couple here just because um, something that usually ends up happening every January is I do what I call like the previous year catch up stuff that I didn't see in time to even consider for my list. Uh, I'll, I'll go back and try to grab. So last matinee is one I, I really liked it. Yeah, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, slasher, good gore. Uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of like the no frills stripped down version of a slasher. There's not a bunch of fancy stuff going on. It's just kind of like your classic setup in a theater where, where someone shows up and decides to start murdering people, and that's that's really all you need for you know for a slasher. Um, not that you know certain ones can't go beyond that design. But do that well, and I'll be happy. And I thought Last Man they did well, along with a great score that I really enjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. Another one that I caught up on that I didn't get a chance to see last year was Broadcast Signal Intrusion, which was pretty interesting. It was good. I, I don't know. It probably wouldn't have made my list, but I did like the concept. You know, and uh, we're starting to get more 90s uh, time capsule stuff, and this one kind of takes place. And then almost kind of had like a semi-video drone feel to it not so much with like the body horror stuff but the concept of like oh i saw this uh uh tape um online and the cool thing about this is it deals with the internet but like the very more early version of the internet since it's taking place i believe in either 98 or 99 so the internet is there but it's not the internet of today you know where there's there's really no mystery or mystique to the internet anymore it's just you know it's a commodified product now you know every everything is advertised and catered to everyone but back then it was much more of like a quote-unquote jungle where like (laughs) you logged into it and you didn't really know what was coming your way um every day it almost felt like something new not that you don't get that necessarily anymore but still um so yeah basically guy finds you know the video um i i believe he's he's hired to like figure out a mystery of what's going on behind the video, how you created a missing person involved, all that kind of stuff. So I, I like that one a lot. And then the other one I'll kind of um, lump into my catch up of 2021 is the trip, which is kind of like a horror comedy, dark comedy um, that's on Netflix. It might actually even be a Netflix original, like produced by Netflix, but don't hold me that. I can't remember when I started it up, if it flashed like the Netflix original, but um, this one it's basically like a married couple goes to like a cabin retreat with the intention to kill each other. And huh. it's done in a comedic way. It stars the um, actress. She was in Prometheus. And I believe, wasn't she also in girl with the dragon tattoo way back? Naomi in the day? Face, the yep. from Lamb. Yep. Yes. yes. You're right. Yep. <laughs> Probably most recently. Yeah. The, beside this one, she was in lamb. Um, so she's the lead. I don't, I didn't, I don't think I recognize any of the other actors in it but still this one was pretty funny it, it, it is longer so you know saddle yourself up for a longer running time but um well acted good story is bill murray like where it. where it went <laughs> <laughs> I wish. um so yeah those uh, i would say definitely out of the three last matinee probably would have the best chance um of like nudging onto the list 
And when I was watching it, it almost made me feel like, man, I need to do like some type of side, like one time a year, some point at like in January called like the the top 10 revised or the the best of the rest list. Like, you know, all the stuff that you didn't have time to see, but like it's you like it so much that you like feel bad that it's on the list. But I don't really want to go around and change my list after the fact, but I, it's like you still want to acknowledge, like, wow, this was really good, and it it could have been considered. So maybe next year I'll come up with some way for Fresh Cuts to do like a best of the rest side list or something. But plenty best of time to worry about rest. that. So <laughs> I'll rotate back to Venom. What else you got? All right. Well, the next movie I'm going to talk about is a film that actually does not come out for another week. Um, here in the States, it's got a release date of February 8th, so a, literally a week from today. Um, this is a very low-budget, very independent production um, that is directed by Scott Jeffrey and Rebecca Matthews, but it stars Richard Bronzy, who, if you don't know him, he is, of <laughs> course, the discount Charles Bronson. I love this guy. I love that he he knows who he looks and sounds like and is just just does he doesn't give two shits i love it um so yeah i mean this film is called exorcist vengeance (laughs) 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 oh yeah the poster is hysterical but uh yeah richard bronzy uh uh, plays basically a hard as nails priest who has no problem taking a swing at his um possessed uh victim not victims but the people that he's trying to help even when they're like a possessed little girl oh i don't care he'll punch her right in the fucking face if she says something he doesn't like he is a no-nonsense priest to the point that he even carries a gun yes my friends this is charles bronson as a priest i don't care you can't convince me otherwise um he's a death wish exactly it's it's the exorcist death wish if you will i don't know but yeah i i just if you go into this, not because I've already explained it to you. It, it's shot on video. It's very, very cheap looking. Don't look for any kind of great effects or, you know, anything too compelling there. It's not the scariest movie. Very honestly, for an exorcism movie, not really a whole lot of tension involved, except during the uh, exorcism scenes. But really, otherwise, it's it's definitely a kind of a character-driven film. Uh, the, the supporting cast isn't bad. I don't know if there's anybody of name in there. Um, I didn't recognize anyone, but I, I thought for, for an incredibly micro-budget film, I thought the, the performances were pretty solid. Like, I didn't really roll my eyes at too many of the line deliveries. I famously will make fun of actors and actresses when they pretend to be possessed and do it poorly. And honestly, I didn't really have too much problems with the with the girl, you know, the possessed person in this film. So um, basically, all I could say is I wouldn't recommend it to your average horror fan, because, like I said, it's incredibly cheap looking. Like as soon as you as soon as the movie starts, you know, you, you see that it's shot on video. It's very cheaply done. It looks like it's shot in someone's kitchen. You know, you know what I mean? So if that kind of stuff doesn't impress you, then it's not the film for you. But if you're into low budget horror, um, especially when they try to make it you know, solidly try to make it in the vein of a bigger budget Hollywood film. I, I think you're going to enjoy this. It, it's a very charming film with some good performances. Like I said, it's not going to rewrite the exorcism wheel by any stretch of the imagination. There, there's nothing in here we haven't seen before as exorcism fans, but um, 
it, you know, it, it's a quick, I think it's only like 85 minutes long, so it's not even 90 minutes. If, you, if you're a fan of this uh, subgenre, which I absolutely am, I will watch any exorcism movie you put in front of me. I don't care how cheap looking it is. I don't care. Um, I will generally, you know, find something in there that I enjoy. And I did with this film as well. So all I can say is if you're going to check this out next week when it comes out, just be prepared for some low budget goodness. But in my opinion, goodness nonetheless. So there you go. Best part of waking up is goodness <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> and it's Richard yeah, Bronson. Come on. I, I saw some stills from that movie, and I'm definitely interested just for every reason you said why you yeah. liked it. I'm like, I got to at least check it out. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I wouldn't. I don't want to put any any undue expectations on anyone. I, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a quote-unquote great movie. But I pulled a lot of enjoyment out of it. And I think if you're a hardcore fan of this subgenre, I think you'll get something out of it. So, yeah. And if you like, you know, Charles Bronson, why wouldn't you want to see his uh, heir apparent? <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Just to see a pre-shoot at a girl who's possessed by a demon. I mean, that's worth the price of admission right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right derek what about you for this rotation uh i got this blu-ray in because i i'm a blu-ray whore i love watching blu-rays of a film that i've seen before and i'm glad i got a chance because the only way i could watch this movie was like in fucking like a vhs rep for the longest time and that is uh the borrower from 1991 uh, which kind of shares some veins kind of with the fucking two movies we'll talk about later. Uh, this movie is directed by John McNaughton. It's actually his follow-up film from Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. And uh, The Borrower is about an alien that gets exiled to Earth as we find out he was a serial killer on his planet world and they make him uh, look human with this process called G regeneration or something like that. I forget what it's actually called, but they make him look like a human. They're more insectual, insectual looking Ooh. aliens when you because we see one up close next to our particular borrower. So they exile him to Earth. Uh, he runs into two hillbillies, one played by the uh, Tom Towles. Uh, the late Tom Towles, of course, R.I.P. And uh, yeah, they, they think he's all right because they, they saw him. They actually try to they shoot at the other alien that was putting him on Earth because they had were having a fight. And they're like, "Are you okay, pal?" And he's like, punches them, and all of a sudden his like body starts to morph and expand, and all of a sudden his head explodes. Oh. So it's just a corpseless, headless body now. As Sue was saying. And you know, Tom tells us, like, you gotta go get that other, I need you to take the truck and go get the neighbor's van because we're gonna sell this shit on eBay. So maybe we want this. <laughs> so uh, his son ends up going to take the truck and he stays with the body. The body comes back to life and takes his head. Hence the title of the movie, The Borrower. He borrows people's heads. To stay alive. <laughs> so that sounds awesome. <laughs> does he ever give them back though? I mean, is it really borrowing? Well, he 
<laughs> no, of course not, because then he ends up killing it. But he ends up having to switch a few heads. And it's actually interesting because then you see, like, these character actors like uh, Tom Tolles and Antonio Fargus, who nice. plays this homeless guy named Julius later in the movie, actually kind of play two different roles in the movie because they end up playing the characters that they're playing, and then they end up playing this alien as well. So it's kind of <laughs> interesting. And there's actually one scene where it involves a dog. Yikes. Where you see is a headless. Good? Yeah, yeah. Oh. And, and while this is also going on with aliens going around, we have the t- we're following two police detectives played by Ray Don Chong and Don Gordon trying to say, what, hey, how, what the hell's going on? Who's taking these heads? You know. And it, it's it's a, it's a fun little romp, you know. Uh, it's very different from Henry, as you can tell by the plot synopsis that mm. I gave you. <laughs> but I, I kind of like it because it gives that inner city Chicago feel that Henry did as well. And kind of expands it. I kind of like movies like this where aliens come to Earth. Kind of like It's kind of like a fucked up, violenter version of Brother from Another Planet. If you guys ever seen that movie. <laughs> that John Sales did back in the early eighties, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, movies like this still get made today, and it's just a cool little time capsule of a area, and you know, it's grimy Chicago and shit, and it's cool and sleazy and has some sleaze to it. Tom Tolls is fucking great in this movie, <laughs> especially with his scenes with Antonio Fargus. Uh, it's good. It's fun stuff. Good soundtrack. Uh, yeah, I recommend it. Uh, not many special features because, unfortunately, a lot of the cast and crew are no longer with us. But still fun. I still recommend The Borrower. It looks great. It was great to watch a HD version of this movie, finally. Because, like I said, uh, i only seen VHS rips, and it still made my top ten of 1991 when I was on the 22 Shots. Sweet. <laughs> um. Okay. So next up for me is actually a 2022 movie. Uh, it's called The Innocence. Um. And this is. I'm not sure if it's Sweden or not, but it's definitely European, like a Nordic, um, European country. Basic setup here is uh, um, a group of kids find out that they have some type of uh, telepathic psychic powers, each one a slightly modified different um, version. And uh, it, I mean, the way you, the way the synopsis sounds, it's almost like a little X-Men movie or something, but <laughs> it, the tone of it is definitely not anything like that. Um, I, mean, I would good, say, so you mean good, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right? Uh, so I enjoyed the movie. I, I'll say going into it, like it could be a contender for fresh cuts, but I would say there's a high probability that it would not be a Don and Ellie movie. It's it's a long running time, uh, it's very slow paced psychological horror. Um, things I tend to like in in horror movies, um, but I think there's going to be people that just you know you get to like 45 minutes an hour into it and they just want to check out because of how it's paced. But um, I think you know. The movie does a really a lot of really good things. Uh, by the time we get to the end, yeah, it gets pretty dark, 
And uh, that's all I want to say, just in case we do end up covering it on Fresh Cuts. But I'm going to assume you guys haven't seen it because it is no. pretty new. No. Nope. No. I, I already hated it because it took the title of the greatest horror movie ever made. <laughs> yeah, same title, a different movie, but uh, for sure. Um, all right, uh, so yeah, I guess I'll be brief on that one just because of how new it is. But yeah, I did, I did really like it. Uh, so back to Venom. Uh, let's see. Um, at the end of every year, of course, you know, we do our rewatches, and then we try to squeeze in movies here and there, and what little free time we have. Uh, this next movie is a 2021 film that I squeezed in at the end, um, not necessarily because I had heard great things about it, because I hadn't, but just because it is a horror anthology, and I do love my horror anthologies, and I'm the kind of person that says even when a horror anthology is bad, I still kind of enjoy it, you know, just because of the format and everything else, that that kind of short story presentation always kind of works for me. Um, kind of feels like campfire tales, if you will, from, you know, when we went camping as kids. So anyway, uh, this particular film is called Grave Intentions. Um, the wraparound for this movie is basically a voodoo witch, uh, basically in her parlor, um, you know, putting spells together and enchanting amulets and things like that. And basically the whole, all, all the segments, what the, what all the segments have in common is exactly the title of the movie. They're grave intentions. Basically, um, you know, each, each short has, you know, an intent, someone had an intention in the movie either to do something good or evil. And regardless, it ends up backfiring on them. And they of course end up getting punished for it. So, you know, it kind of is a morality tale, uh, type, um, anthology. And honestly, folks, um, unfortunately I have to say that, yes, this is one of the bad ones. Um, this is definitely not one that I would recommend. The stories, for the most part, are fairly drab. There's like the story, one is called The Bridge Partner, where a woman is new to a bridge club. Uh, she ends up being the odd man out because they had an odd number of club members. She doesn't have a partner. So she's about to leave, and then she ends up meeting uh, a mysterious woman shows up at the last minute to be her bridge partner. Um, who may or may not have different intentions other than bridge. So we'll leave it at that. Um, like I said, there's a story of a girl who rescues a stray cat and wherever that stray cat goes, kind of evil follows. So, you know, through that girl's good intentions of helping a stray cat, you know, she's kind of uh, put through the ringer. But the one segment that I really, really wanted to talk about, because I, I loved this segment. Now, for those who don't know me very well, you got to know that I am a very petty and vindictive person. And when <laughs> someone when someone has been wronged, I am strongly in the in agreement that that person needs to be punished. Uh, the segment in question here is called The Disappearance of Willie Bingham. Now, this segment, I'm not going to talk too much about it because I feel like a lot of people need to check this segment out. Even if you don't check out the entire movie, check out this segment. Um, basically a man is charged and convicted of the rape and murder of a little girl. And in this world of uh, the world of this short segment, um, the families of the, uh, of the victim get to dictate the punishment to the guilty party. Um, so, you know, let your imaginations kind of run wild with that there. So basically what happens is the family decides 
to put the um the murderer, the rapist and murderer through a series of surgical procedures. And I'm going to leave it at that, folks. So hopefully that kind of, you know, uh, tempts you enough to check this out, because like I said, it, it doesn't go where you think it's going based on my description right there. Some people might think it's like a skin that I live in type situation with like a sex change or something. Nope. Totally different. But the oh. point is, this is such a satisfying segment and just how it ends, um, you know, for people like me, like I said, if you're as petty and vindictive as I am and feel that all rapists and murderers should, you know, basically be fucked to death on public television, this is a segment for you. It is just so satisfying uh, that I, I can't speak enough good things about it. It may not be the best made, you know, segment necessarily or or the best looking or the scariest. It's definitely not the scariest. But the point is, it was the one that I derived the most pleasure from. And ultimately, it was really the only segment that I walked away from this film really, really enjoying. So, like I said, that's Grave Intentions. It's sitting at a 3.9 on IMDb right now. And honestly, I can't disagree with that score, except for the segment, The Disappearance of Willie Bingham. Um, like I said, if you can just check out that segment and just ignore the rest of the movie, rock on. I think it's either the second or third segment of the, of the film, um, just in case this thing ever drops on streaming or something and you don't want to sit through the whole thing. But, you know, as I said, you know, just like as I said with about horror anthologies earlier, even when they're not that bad for me, they're still watchable. Like I said, I was still able to derive some enjoyment out of this, but it's not going to get a strong recommend from me. So that is 2021's Grave Intentions. Uh, I have no idea where it's available now. I know it was on VOD at the end of 2021. Who knows? Maybe it's on Tubi or YouTube or something. You know, but I, I'm sure it's not going to be hard to find if you really want to see it. But like I said, not a strong recommend from me. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Derek, what up next? Well, I don't know if this would technically be a horror movie, but I did watch a new movie that I got in the mail from SRS Cinema. I posted about it, and it's titled Nezera 1964. Oh. Which uh, might be more in line with something like Creature Comforts, because <laughs> Nezera 1964 is a biopic about the making of the movie Nezera which was never finished. It was supposed to be Daae's first big giant monster movie to compete with Godzilla. And, you know, they were using real rats when they were filming it. And they had to shut down production because it wasn't working out for them. And all of a sudden, if you know the story, uh, somebody was like, I have an idea of another monster we could do. And we use the same sets about a giant flying turtle. <laughs> As we all know, we actually talked about this on the very first episode of Underwater Kaiju. <laughs> you know, yep. but uh, it, it's a very interesting, low budget, crowdfunded movie about this story. Uh, it only runs 55 minutes, which is it's fast paced in that sense, but also you kind of want a little bit more from it in that sense, too. You know, they could maybe expand more on what was going on then, you know, more history lessons, get more character development. But there's some fun character stuff, like uh, the head of Dia Studios is pretty fucking hilarious. 
but uh, it's fun for what it is for like a low budget indie go go slash like Kickstarter crowdfunded project. It's not bad. It's kind of well made and it's a love letter to the story and the history. And you know they actually do like a giant live action kaiju Nezera that's spoiler alert not part of the actual movie uh it's actually some visions that the direct the head of die is having at the time but also you know they actually do like show like a model a little model of the creature earlier in the movie too but uh it's pretty fun uh yeah srs cinema i think it's got like a like a exclusive blu-ray to their srs store right now but you could also pick up a dvd copy down the line when they release it on dvd Later on, like which they usually do with a lot of their newer titles, they do like the you know the exclusive Blu-ray first and do like the wide uh, release DVD version, which is interesting. Uh, I get it for like a smaller company like SRS why they would do something like that, but uh, it's still cool, cool stuff. Nice. I will definitely Sweet. check that out. That sounds right up my alley. Yeah, hey, me too. Yeah, SRS um, and all that giant monster stuff out. Like they just put out like the the Great Booter Arrival, which I have coming in. Wow. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next up for me is a movie called Block Island Sound. Have you guys seen this one? Oh yeah. I lived it. It has the guy from Ninety Nine Cameras in it, right? I lived it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, this one was pretty good. Another psychological horror, I think. I, I guess I would classify it as that. Uh, so right off the bat, it won't be some people's cup of tea, but I really liked it. I liked the kind of mystery and intrigue of what exactly was going on. I like that they didn't feel the need to like give away too much too soon. And I just like the eeriness of it. Um, I thought it was really well done, and it's a shame that I didn't see this one in time. <laughs> either uh venom what did you think of this one? Oh, i loved it i mean i saw it in time last year it just did not make my top 10 it, it mm-hmm. lacked a little bit more visceral horror that i'd like mm-hmm. to see in a movie like this but still i mean very solidly psychological i mean you could make the argument that this is almost lovecraftian um, yeah based on the mystery of what's actually happening here um, and and of course, if I can see Lovecraft in something, I I almost instantly love it. So yeah, I had a really good time with it. And it, what a I mean, it's a beautiful movie. You can watch it in 4K on Netflix right now if you have a, a Netflix 4K account. But yeah, it, it's a very well made movie. Um, you know, definitely not for everybody. A little slow paced. Maybe not the big payoff that a lot of people would want to see in something like this. But it worked for me. I liked it a lot. I did too. Hey, pretty good. Three for three. I lived it. How did you tell us more? <laughs> I lived it. I, I beat up the giant jack dude from 33 cameras. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, all right, Venom. Uh, keep going? Something. I mean, I, I'm, we can keep going for a while, but... I'm wondering if we're boring any people yet. Okay, so let's see. Um, going back to some 2021 stuff that I had missed, and this one actually came out in very early 2021, like February or March. It's something that I know a lot of people were talking about, a lot of people 
uh, were really high on it when it came out. And it's just something that I just never got around to watching. And that is Lucky, um, starring Brie Grant, of course. Uh, she actually wrote this film. Go figure. Um this is a movie that a lot of people and, and I will say, I, I mean, a lot of women were praising this film because, I mean, if you really dig deep on the commentary in this movie and, you know, what this movie kind of is a metaphor of, then, you know, I, I appreciate that part of it. Like I said, anybody who listens to my shows knows that I appreciate social commentary and I appreciate the commentary of this film. But I'm going to say this movie was so goddamn frustrating for me. Just every single basically for those who haven't seen it, it's it's the story of a woman who is attacked every night by the same serial or by the same killer. Basically, a masked killer is breaking into her house every single night, even if she kills him, even if she somehow gets the upper hand and kills him, his body will disappear and then she will and he will attack her in her home or wherever she is. That's the thing, too. Not just in her home. It's wherever she is. Um, he will attack her, basically trying to kill her and anybody else who might be around. Um, so, you know, obviously that that's an odd description right to, from the start. So, you know, that there's a psychological aspect to it, you know, right away. But when we get to the end of the film and I, I kind of understand, OK, what this um, this is a metaphor for, I, I did enjoy it. I, I'm not going to praise it the way a lot of people did, saying that it was a incredibly, you know, um, you know, one of the most important films of the year. I, I can't go that far. But for me, it was more because of the frustration, because every time she gets the upper hand on this individual, she doesn't seem to ever care about taking the mask off. It's like, wouldn't that be the first goddamn thing you would do? You're a woman who's basically alone being attacked every night. You finally get the upper hand on this person and then you don't take their goddamn mask off. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. See how easily pissy I get. But the problem is she does that like six times in the movie. Like at no point in the film does she think, hey, let me take his mask off and see if maybe I know who this person is. Maybe I can go to the police with new information. Nope. <laughs> she just gets the upper hand on the killer, turns her back. By the time she turns back around, the body is gone. And the next day it's uh, rinse and repeat basically. So, um, but like I said, there is commentary here. I, I feel like, yes, if you're a female horror fan, you absolutely need to see this film. But I was just so frustrated throughout the film that I couldn't really get behind, you know, May, our main character, May. And when we, when we got to the end, I understood the message. It just didn't impact me as much because of how frustrated I was throughout the journey. So, um, you know, anybody who praises this movie and says that it's one of the best of 2021, hey, rock on. Um, I wanted to like this movie that, that much. But just, you know, when I find myself getting this frustrated with one character, you know, just umpteen times, you know, throughout a film, uh, it's hard for me to look back on that film and say, hey, yeah, that was a good movie, even though this is objectively a good film. And it's something that most people in our genre should check out. It just didn't work for me. Like I said, if, if you're easily frustrated by horror character decisions, this may not be the film for you. But if you can get past that to, to, to kind of get to the meaty center of what this film is actually trying to say, then yes, I think you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy it. And, and despite me not saying that it's one of the best of the year, not praising it, I still am saying it's a very, very good film. It really is. It just didn't work for me, like I said, just because of my frustration watching it. But otherwise, I'm sure many people saw it and liked it. 
I assume at least one of you guys saw it, right? I didn't like it at all. You didn't like it at all? Oh, that's kind of, that helps me then. <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of like, maybe I gotta give it another watch. I wasn't in the, I wasn't feeling it. I hear you. Yeah. In the I middle mean, of your rant, I almost thought you were talking about the new Scream movie with the, why don't oh, you no. take off the mask thing? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, that's turning into a horror trope for us now, not taking the goddamn killer's mask off when you have a chance. Oh, I don't uh, want to see the new Scream movie now, then. Jesus. <laughs> just because it upset me. I was, just tro- I was just trolling. I didn't even see it, like... Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a Scream movie. I mean, there's always going to be that will he get unmasked, won't he, get a- won't he or she get unmasked, blah, I'm just, blah, blah. I'm just curious if it ends with Creed. <laughs> oh, man. That's all I care about. My well, three movies. <laughs> prepare, to be, prepare to be disappointed. <laughs> oh, it's like when I watch H two O and Scream three back to back. That was the greatest experience ever. Oh God, you survived Whoa. with the homes <laughs> wide open. Oh no. So yeah, folks, lucky good movie, just not for me. I'm sure many of you are going to like it more than I did, but so I would still recommend it. I think it's definitely worth a watch. It's an hour and 23 minutes. It's a quick watch. So, you know, thank God for that, but it is solidly a good film. So check it out. Cool. Uh, All right. You got anything else, Derek? I do. I do. I watched the 4k of the 1970s version of invasion of the body snatchers. I loved it. Uh, I've seen it before, but I yeah. love the. Tra- I was like, the transfer is amazing. It looks fantastic. Kino did an excellent job with the transfer of this movie. Uh, like, what can I say? It's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, the, yeah, it's great. It's Fox in it, the greatest, yeah. act, the greatest actor ever, Jeff Goldblum. You know, <laughs> that's for and, you, moods. You know, and then we even have. Uh, the iconic, uh, uncredited, and the creepiest role ever, Robert Duvall is a priest swinging on a swing in the beginning <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> the no, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, he was bored. He figured he'd do a quick appearance. I know. He's next to, <laughs> this is creepy because he's next to like three kids. <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but if you haven't seen it, it's great. It has great cameos by Kevin McCarthy, and who's, of course, the star of the original movie. And uh, the director, Don Siegel, comes as a cameo, too, as a cab driver. Mm. Uh, good effects. I really like it a lot. Very, very cool. I haven't picked up the 4K yet, but that's definitely one I will get. I love that movie. I love all versions of Body Snatchers, obviously. Um, the, the original, I adore the original. Uh, got yeah. a chance to review that on the horror cast, and yeah, it just re- refreshed my memory on you know how much I really love that film. But yeah, almost every version of that series I like. Besides the Daniel Craig one. Eh, it's not good, but there's bits of it I liked. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. I haven't watched it in a while. But I do remember just not outright hating it, like, every single scene. Uh, I remember some parts of it being decent. But overall, not the greatest experience, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, for me, so I, I mentioned at the top of the show, you know, it's it's been a while since we were originally supposed to record. So back then I had listed in my notes kind of wrapping up um, some of the TV shows because at the time, I think Dexter had just wrapped up. Yellow Jackets was the 
week away from wrapping up. So I'll just say, you know, a lot of the TV shows from 2021 were really good. <laughs> like, okay. I, I had a fun time with Dexter. I think the way it ended was way better than the original series. I don't think it was like a flawless ending, but it was probably about, as far as how the story was going during the season, it's probably about as good as it could have been. Um, you know, I've heard like some critiques of it and they're fair, but I mean, the overall consensus is like, this was a way better, uh, way to, uh, wrap it up than what they did originally in the series. And then yellow jackets, um, it's caught fire now. Like it, it seems like a lot of people are, uh, getting into it now, obviously for anyone that's watching it now, you can marathon it out if you choose, but I was watching it when each episode released every week. Uh, that's great. Um, and then 2021 overall, man, Midnight Mass, uh, Squid Game, we brought up a briefly earlier, mm-hmm. um, Archive 81, just started that one. I'm not even that far into it, but that one's cool so far. Uh, there was a lot. Like, I I was thinking the other day, I was like, I could almost, like, take my favorite shows from 2021 and put them up against my favorite movies. Like, if I just picked, like, five of each, 2021 was just one of those years where the the TV stuff was so good. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, uh, I watched uh, the documentary Hail to the Deadites, which I think is on Shutter. Yeah. I think that's where I saw it. That was fun. That was good. Yeah, I mean, you know, for those of us who have been fans of that franchise for years, I wouldn't say there's anything necessarily new, but it's it's always cool when you do a doc on, like, the fandom surrounding movies, um, just, you know, just for the mm-hmm. fun of it. Um, what else? I I watched a movie called Arctic Void. Have, have any of you guys seen or heard of that one? Heard uh, of it, but don't know anything about it. Uh, just... Brief synopsis set up on that one is uh, three guys, they get hired to uh, do some type of, I think it's like a documentary film on um, a ship in the Arctic. And I hope it's in the Arctic. Yeah. I, <laughs> that'd be uh, pretty ridiculous. It's shot in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, if it's like a cruise around Madagascar or something. Uh, but uh, So, yeah, so basically, you know, they're on the... It's it's not really a cruise ship. It's like a... Like, I would almost say like a smaller yacht-type boat. And um, I think it's like on the second or third day that they're out there, um, everyone on the boat disappears except three guys, and it's them trying to figure out what the hell happened. So you can imagine, like, anything with that set up, there's always going to be, like, the usual like oh is it the rapture is it this is it that so um there will be like some of the familiar tropes but i did like where it went and where we uh go and end up figuring out or finding out i mean uh what actually went on so that's that one's out there for for people to see if they haven't seen it but i would uh, give it an endorsement so yeah go check arctic void out and that actually pretty much got through most of my list i think that's all I have to. I mean, I can keep going, but I, I think we I, I went over some of the best stuff that I've seen other than the one I can't really talk about. But yeah, there's stuff I can't remember either. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot of those. I'm sure I watched The Shining like three times in that time, too. I just I, I, I did, too. Then the thing, <laughs> then the thing, especially yesterday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thing 4K. Ah, so pretty. Yeah. I, I, I have. I've written so like I'm I'm scanning over my notes. I have written down which is like old news now, but Alan Wake two got announced. Um, we talked about that the, that the last show. 
<laughs> did we? I, I don't remember. No, you bit, know what? Yeah, we did. Maybe maybe it got announced, but I think what I the reason I wrote it down is because they actually gave a little more details that they're actually going to make it more survival horror than the original, like an actual horror mm-hmm. game. Because the creator said while the first Alan Wake had like horror elements, it was still more like um i can't remember what he classified it as but he That's said this weird. one was gonna be like straight up survival horror i i feel like the first one was straight up survival horror i mean your only weapon is a flashlight yeah and, I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't know to me that survival horror i mean yeah i actually that. got the uh remaster for ps5 and i played like a couple hours of it and uh-huh. so far at least it feels like survival horror like yeah. maybe I don't know if it gets easier as it goes on, so maybe it like, but I'm like, it feels like a, like an old school totally. horror. <laughs> and it gets so psychological the deeper into the game you go. Oh yeah, you just like the first part when you're, uh, you know, you park your car on the little boat and it mm-hmm. docks you on the island and you go into that little cafe. I was like, did I just pull up in Twin Peaks? Like it, <laughs> it, it was like just walking around the town before you really yeah. even get into it. I was like, this is cool. Yep. Um. Yeah, let's see. The only, uh, yeah, and if I mean if we're going into news, I don't really have it. the only news I, I have. It, and it's funny because I had an Evil Dead game news item written down way back then, but <laughs> since then we we I just heard that it got pushed back to May because it was supposed to be um, February that it came out. And the news that I had is um, they were adding a single player mode, but the single player mode was just going to be like side missions, which I don't know what the side missions like what they would entail and then like you could populate the the game with bots if you didn't want to play online oh, i mean it's becoming yeah. a familiar theme with a lot of these games where they're just made to be multiplayer games but the people yeah. like fans want single player games but you could tell the game the the developers it's like they they don't want to uh disappoint people by saying okay no single player but they don't whatever they add to it, it's not really like any type of campaign and that's what want because they're just there's just too many of the like these types of games have their place but see to me these horde style uh games that was always what the add-on was back in the day like they would add that feature to a single player or something kind of like you know the uh uh, zombies yeah like even like a game like uncharted you know they would add on a multiplayer but the single player campaign was what it was and it sucks too because mm-hmm. um there was i know there was like i think three evil dead games at least two of them were actually good i think uh hail to the king and uh, fistful of boomstick were actually good single player campaign so i was like i was really hoping we would get that for this new one with you know modern day systems but it doesn't seem so it's like that bullshit godzilla game that came out for PS4. Uh, we're never gonna get a good godzilla game god damn it hell some of the fucking godzilla games are better for the fucking thing than that fucking piece of shit oh by far but what what style of game was it, was it like rampage light or something or how did... no it was just godzilla walking through the fucking city then a monster pops up and you couldn't barely play as the other fucking monsters it's fucking bullshit yeah it just <laughs> wasn't it, yeah wasn't thought least, out very well at least the fighting ones were fucking fun yeah for a little bit anyway so it was basically a game just made because oh people like godzilla so we gotta pretty much a game yeah with godzilla <laughs> Same reason uh, those stupid Burger King games got made. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. man. 
Uh, either of you guys have any news or anything? Not really. I, I've seen nah. a lot of shit, but I just can't remember. I didn't just have time to pull it up. Yeah, I mean, anything, any news I have is it was news in December. It's not really news in February. So <laughs> I've seen news today, but I just forgot it because I was fucking shoveling all day. Oh, oh shit. Uh, snow. Yuck. That's the breaking news. Tons of snow where Derek lives. Oh, yeah. Poor Derek. We're going to build a castle out of some of the mountains we made. Oh, no. 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 Oh, nope. Never again. Never again. How common is it where, like, you go shovel snow for pathways and stuff, and then, like, you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning and it's all covered again? <laughs> oh, I, 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 I had to shovel my stairs, like, fucking 35 times yesterday. Oh, Damn. Nope. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I guess if that's the case, then we'll take a break. And come back with our main features for the episode, Mad yes. Parts and Body Woo! Parts. Yes, we'll be back after these messages, folks. Mad Parts and Body Love. Yes. <laughs> Peter Lori's teeth are going to be here soon. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is Peter Lorre speaking. I couldn't resist the temptation to call you. I just read of your new picture that you're to make. Oh, that's very nice of you. Thanks for your interest. Oh, I thought you were magnificent in M. And just the other night I saw your new picture, The Man Who Knew Too Much. What character are you going to play in? Oh, it's a most unusual story. You know, it's a great love drama. I am to be a half-mad scientist. I, a poor peasant have conquered science. Why can't I conquer love? <laughs> he shall be shut up when it's I who am mad. <laughs> but nobody knows that. Yes. Each man kills the thing he loves. If you'd, uh, if you'd send a, a copy to all the members and indicate that, uh... Bill, there's nothing to worry about. Everything's going to be just fine. 
You lost your arm in a car accident yesterday. We've transplanted another arm for you. How does it feel to have someone else's arm? Dad, it's sort of gross. Well, it's not how it looks. It's how it works, right? I think there's something the matter with me. Oh! It's the arm. Billy! There's something wrong with the person I used to belong to. You have this guy's arm. You don't have his personality. I want you to run my prints. Any past record I had would show up on the printout, right? You put a killer's arm onto my body and you didn't tell me. That arm can't do anything you don't want it to. How do you know that? Where does evil live? Does it live in the soul? In the mind? Maybe it lives in the flesh. Maybe you got some kind of demon inside of you these days. Why doesn't anybody want to ask any questions about these operations? I hit my kid. I tried to strangle my wife. I have nightmares every night. I want this arm off! Don't you realize what I and my team have accomplished with that arm? Take the kids and go to your mother's. Don't pack, just go now! All right, we are back, and it's time to talk a couple of movies. So we will start with the movie from 1935. Yes, that might be the – I'm trying to think back on all our episodes, which is impossible to do on the fly. But is 1935 the far, the furthest back we've gone? Because we, we are not – we have no aversion to, you know, older movies. We've covered plenty, you know, from different eras. But 1935 might for our show yes i would say yeah I, i've gone older on a couple of other shows but here yeah 35 uh, okay so uh synopsis in paris a demented surgeon's obsession with british actress leads him to secretly place her concert pianist husband mangled hands with those of a guillotined murderer with a gift for knife throwing you know something i love about like older horror movies like this is why they didn't always have like you know the special effects gore or any, you know anything over the top like the motivations of like the villains in these movies were very dark and disturbing like what they mm-hmm. like the the content might not match the evilness of what they wanted to do but goddamn like the some of these guys like their plans and why they wanted to do things it's like man is was there not, not a better way to like winner over then (laughs) (laughs) uh but uh yeah so this stars the late great peter laurie um for people that aren't familiar because i feel like you know there's probably people that might not be familiar with him or just not by name i would almost say he's like a precursor to vincent price all right i mean is that fair to say he's that type where he he has a very unique look and Mm -hmm. voice where if you see him or hear him you instantly know who it is, assuming you know. But even if you don't know him by name, you've probably heard that voice before or some type of yeah. caricature of him after the fact. And it, you know, it feels like he's like 
one of those unique figures in the history of the genre and just film itself um, yeah. because his features are so distinct. Um, he, it's you know it's hard to mistake him with with anybody else. But um, I guess I'll kick it to Venom. Uh, have you ever seen this before? What, what did, and if not, or if so, what did you think of it on this watch? Well, um, this was indeed a first time watch for me. I had never actually watched this. I am a fan of Peter Lorre. And yes, I mean, to go back to Mike's point about his relationship with Vincent Price, um, I could see how he could even be go so far as to say an inspiration. I mean, because they were peers towards the end of Peter Lorre's career in the 60s. You know, he and um, Vincent Price, you know, starred in a few movies together, most famously A Comedy of Terrors, which actually is one of my all time favorite films. Um but yeah, I mean, so distinguished. So, you know, you can't mistake that voice. You can't mistake that look. You could almost recognize him from behind just based on his gait and, you know, his bald head and whatnot, you know? So, yeah, very distinguishable actor. And yes, this was a first time watch for me. And you know what, folks? I loved it. I am madly in love with this movie. No pun intended. Yeah, this this was great to see. To go back and watch something from 1935 and to see the origin of a lot of horror tropes that are utilized today is just so cool. It's so refreshing to to go back and see this and to think what audiences maybe, you know, because the, as Mike said, the motivation of these um, villains, it had to be shocking to audiences in the 30s. You know, they're not used to something like that where it's a kind of a psychosexual relationship that someone has, um, you know with someone who doesn't want that kind of relationship, you know? So definitely something that maybe wasn't explored in film as much at the time, but yeah, this film, I loved every second of it. I mean, for this movie is an hour and eight minutes. It is a quick watch. Um, it does, even though it doesn't jump into the quote unquote action right away. Um, we get some beautiful character development with Mr. And Mrs. Orlock, Dr. Gogol, of course, played by Peter Lorre. Uh, we get a hysterical housekeeper. Dr. Gogol's housekeeper is just <laughs> just wickedly funny. She's she's a you know, she she does the stereotypical drunk old lady shtick. But goddamn, was it so entertaining and her interactions with her bird? I think she had like a uh, I, I, a cockatiel, maybe. I'm not sure what kind of bird that was, but I, I just thought every scene that she was in, she stole the scene. She was just so entertaining, so uh, like active, you know, for a big lady too. She's a big lady, but she's all over the place, running up the stairs, jumping up and down. Yeah. It's just a great performance by her. Um, but yeah, e even once you get into the mystery of it and the mystery of Rolo and, you know, is Rolo dead? Is Rolo not dead? I loved every second of it. I will totally admit that the reveal got me. Um, as far as, you know, the, the question, when we finally get our answer of is Rolo dead or not, I'm like, oh shit, I didn't see that coming. Especially, like I said, in a 1935 movie, if it was a more modern movie, I might've seen that coming, but I didn't give enough credit to a film from 35 to actually do that and kind of swerve in, in a way that maybe wasn't expected at the time. So yeah. Um, I liked our wacky American reporter, you know, he was kind of the, him and the housekeeper were the majority of the comic relief in the film. 
Um, you know, he was one of those fast talking, you know, noir actors. You, you, you could barely keep up with his mile a minute speech. He was always over excitable. Just that, you know, it all worked for me, except during Rolo's execution, where we finally see him act a little bit like a human and turn his head and act like he's going to vomit a little bit because uh, uh, Rolo basically plays a criminal in the film who's executed early in the film. And that execution is kind of the catalyst for where the rest of the film goes. So um, obviously, you know, because we're pairing this with body parts, of course, it is a body part swap movie where, you know, a character, a seemingly innocent character is uh, swapped parts with this serial killer Rolo who was just, you know, beheaded as one of. And honestly, that would have been one of the last executions by beheading in France, because I believe they finished the practice in the 40s. So, um to actually see a public, obviously not a real one, this is a film, but um, to see, you know, a public guillotine execution, you know, in an American film in 1935, again, probably not something American audiences were used to. So, and then, like I said, the final scene, I was very satisfied with how it ended. I was very satisfied that the hero of the film was able to use his quote unquote new abilities to actually save the day. I thought that was a cool little addition there at the end i wish they would have done more with the end of the movie one of one of my biggest complaints with films of this era is that they just end so abruptly it's like oh the villain's dead movie's over and it's like well wait a minute i want to know about uh orlock like is he gonna keep rollo's hands is he gonna you know is he gonna you know what is he gonna do like there's more to this story in my opinion yes dr gogol is dispatched but it, there are so many unanswered questions that if they would have even given me five more minutes, <laughs> maybe maybe show me uh, somehow Orlock is able to play piano again or or maybe he gets a different hands. I mean, how funny would that be if he actually showed up with like, you know, hands that matched him even less, but he's actually playing piano. It's just something like that. It's like I, I, the abrupt ending doesn't work for me. It probably worked for audiences at the time. But for me, I like that kind of epitaph scene, that final scene where it's, you know, a little bit of resolution, because ultimately in this movie, killing the villain to me is only part of the resolution. There is still so much. And, you know, the couple is poor. Like, do they do they get to keep Dr. Gogol's castle? Like, there's just so many unanswered questions that I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of. But the fact that the movie leaves me wanting more is always a good thing. So, yeah. Um, I've rambled on enough, so I'm just going to say, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this movie and this would be a purchase for me. This, this instantly turns into one of my favorite Peter Lorre movies. I really had a great time with this one. Yeah. And I, I felt like, yeah, that is one of the strengths is like once we kind of get to his character and he, he does spend a lot of time on him and mm-hmm. his psyche and you know, what he plans to do and just, they really don't shy away from featuring him, which is cool. Yeah, um, Jared, and one thing oh, sorry, I'm sorry, one one last thing that I wanted to point out that I really appreciated about the film is that Dr. Gogol isn't evil beginning to end. Mm-hmm. He's actually a very admirable admirable person at first. He's an absolute creeper throughout the entire film, but that's just his aura. That's Peter Lorre. But ultimately, it's not like he's out to do harm the entire movie. I mean, he he cures sick children for a living, and he does it for free. He doesn't even take payment for it. So Dr. Gogol is a weird character in the sense that he starts out very admirable, but because he kind of gets this dark desire for this woman that he can't have, 
um, it turns into something else. And I really love that character arc for him. So I just wanted to throw that in there too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bringing that up kind of makes me wonder too. It's like, you know, we're, we're talking in the 1930s here and it, it makes you wonder if like, you know, coming out of the 1800s, you know, into the early, earlier 1900s, I would say, if there's still kind of like that skepticism of like the science and medical community, you know, we're coming off like a lot of, a lot of breakthroughs in, in that department. And mm-hmm. I wonder, cause like there's a lot of horror movies of the time that have to do with like crazy doctors and mad scientists. And like, maybe it was, maybe it Wax figures. Like the, the, un- <laughs> yeah, the, the unknown, the unknown future of like medicine and science and where it could take us. And so of course, like people speculate, well, what, what evil places will we go with all this stuff just due to the, like, we're still in unknown territory um, with it. But yeah, it, it does kind of bring up an interesting thing. If that was, if that's the motivation for a lot of like the mad scientist uh, yeah. movies. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll kick it over to Derek. Uh, what did you think of mad love? It is beautiful. I really loved it. <laughs> but uh yeah i uh, i actually have heard of this movie before i have never seen it before because it's an adaptation of the hands of orlock which of course is there's actually a mo- version of that from like the silent era of this story under that title uh, there's actually a few different versions of this story more known under the hands of orlock title but uh yeah, uh, very interesting. Peter Lorre, I love. The first thing I could remember seeing him in was the Disney version of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think that's the first thing I ever knew who Peter Lorre was as a person. And then later on with, like, The Raven and the Comedy of Terrors, like Venom said. Uh, yeah, and uh, then I later went on to see, like, movies like M... And, like, his early work, like, The Man Who Knew Too Much that he did with Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's, he's great. Uh, iconic, menacing. Uh, he's just a force. He's one of those actors where you're on screen with him. You're like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's great. Great, great cast in this. Uh, it's, it's very interesting to see Colin Clive in a different role than I'm usually used to seeing him. Because the only other two movies I've known him from was he played Dr. Victor Frankenstein in the Frankenstein in the Bride of Frankenstein from James Wheels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he plays Stephen Orlock in this. And, you know, he has a great uh, character arc, too. And, you know, you know, my hands! <laughs> They're throwing knives! Look at them! Look they at them want go. to throw knives! <laughs> yes, that's great. <laughs> the, the, the first Peter Lorre thing I ever probably saw as a kid it wasn't actually peter laurie it was i think like a parody of him in scooby-doo um <laughs> there was a i think it was like mr leech i think it was like in one of the episodes because like i realized it when when you hear the voice it kind of sounds like it could have been him but then you look at the timeline as i know it wasn't actually him but like the character the, the features were like just like him and the, the voice was close enough to where it's like someone doing an impersonation but uh, you know i was so young i, I had no idea who peter yeah. Lorre was at the time it's more after the fact it's like wait a minute that was like too close to not yeah yeah they I had mean, to at least have knowledge of the guy 
Yeah, I have a similar story in the sense that I, the first time I saw Peter Lorre was also in a cartoon, but it was in that, um, I don't know if you remember the old Warner Brothers cartoon. It, w- it was a one-shot. It was just um, uh, like a seven- or eight-minute cartoon. It was Hollywood on the town, and it was basically like all the celebrities of the time, like you know Clark Gable and Cary Grant, and Peter Lorre was in that, and, and he, he I think he hits on a young Catherine Hepburn in the cartoon and she slaps him or something. And literally that's the first time I, but it's very solidly Peter Lorre. It's drawn like him. I don't think it's his actual voice. Cause if it was actually the voice actors in that cartoon, it would have been the most expensive cartoon ever. Yeah. Cause I mean, literally they, I mean, Catherine Hepburn and, and Mae West and just like all, all the great actors and actresses of like the time of like the thirties, forties and fifties are, you know, basically out at a restaurant or like a jazz club or something. So I and I love that cartoon. I like cartoons like that that aren't like, you know, character based, like they're not a Bugs Bunny cartoon or something like that. They're just like a one off uh, with all the celebrities. I, I dig that. Yeah. Check that cartoon out. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I I, I swear it exists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I also had to agree with Ben with the, the, the maid, <laughs> and, uh, especially the scenes with the fucking uh, the reporter. I love when he's just bribing her with alcohol. It's great. <laughs> and he's like, so and she's like, and she's telling the story. I talk to the body every day. And she's thinking, of course, he's thinking of talking about the wax figure up in his room. But, uh, yeah, that, you know. that's probably the funniest scene in the whole movie to me. When, when she's talking to the reporter and the reporter's talking about Rolo's body, but she's talking about the wax statue and they're just having, it's just a, one of those, um, you know, miscommunications. It easily the funniest part of the movie to me. I was oh, laughing my ass off. Yeah, I was cracking up. <laughs> and, you know, and you know, we actually put up the trope from, you know, this would actually pair well with like Mystery of the Wax Museum from the same period with mm-hmm. Lionel Atwell, which of course was later remade into House of Wax. But uh, yeah, because a lot of these movies had wax figures in them. <laughs> well, quote unquote wax. Because <laughs> there's a couple of shots where it's not a wax. It's yeah, the actress. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But you know, you can tell like with some of the side shots, it's a uh, fake. <laughs> exactly. Yep. 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 <laughs> yeah. Or when they're carrying, it's definitely fake. You know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's cool how they did that. And I think you know, honestly, Mystery of the Wax Museum kind of did the same kind of texture of lighting and shit without that kind of shit. But they probably had the actual actor stand in some scenes. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since I watched that one. Yeah, me too. Because I know the Vincent Price one's like full-blown wax. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they had the same reveal, of course. But, yeah, that's a totally different podcast discussion. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, fun movie. You know, I I didn't expect the ending to happen. And actually, because I didn't actually watch – I watched – because I rewatched, you know, a lot of the stuff that kind of was a, kind of a homage to like a, one of the reveals of the other movie with like a a certain neck brace that's used. <laughs> yep. You know, you know, in the next movie we're going to talk about, yeah. which is cool. You know, I know Eric Eric Red, who directed the next movie, probably is a fan of this movie. Oh yeah. In some sense, so that's cool. And even like some of the scarring of like the, you know body parts that are exchanged kind of mm-hmm. look similar too. So yeah, I, I like that. Like keeping track with the tropes of these certain types of movies and the later movie we're going to talk, but we'll talk about that in a minute. 
But overall, Mad Love, I highly recommend it. Uh, uh, great era piece from the 30s. Uh, yeah, because I have the Blu-ray of this. Ooh, nice. Looks great, by the way. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just add, I mean, I did say a little bit at the beginning, but... Yeah, this movie really lets Peter Lorre shine, which is good. That's kind of what you need to do when you have that kind of character actor on your screen. He, he He's the type of presence where, like, you don't really need to do much with him. Like, you put him in a doctor outfit, he's going to come off like a mad scientist doctor just mm-hmm. because of, you know, his, his characteristics itself. He doesn't – he almost – he's like the opposite of someone that – needs to like ham up a character or this type of character hell a year later you fucking play a japanese man <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah i mean i think ben i'm already brought it up the movie is only an hour and eight minutes there's really no time to waste and they don't do much of it they pack everything they you need to in here i mean this is yeah like one of the rare cases where you could even say give me 10, 15 more minutes just to flesh out the ending because, yeah, it definitely has that style of, like, right when he's about to do some real harm, oh, they break in and save the day and it just, he, like, does the slowly collapses to the ground and dies in happy ending, even though it's like, but wait a minute, some of the damage he had done. He got stabbed, he got hit in the shoulder, too. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't didn't get hit in a spot where it would kill him, but I guess audiences in 35 were much more forgiving. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's definitely more of like a we're just going with the story aspect of he dies at the end more so than like you actually see that uh, he he died. <laughs> yeah, oh, I did. Uh, but yeah, there really was so much more story to tell. I you know I, I'm not gonna complain about the running time because it is quick, even though it never feels frantic. Like at no point in the movie do you feel like it's moving too fast. Like they're just trying to advance the story as quickly as possible. Like, they take their time with a lot of those early scenes, a lot of the conversations. The first conversation that um, Yvonne has with Dr. Gogol, um, it's a very slow-paced conversation. They're not rushing through it. You know, he's creeping her out, obviously, you know, just by being Peter Lorre. And then when they have a conversation later on um, at her house, uh, same thing. They don't rush it. it. It's very well played out but without feeling too incredibly slow and without feeling, like I said, like frantic, like they're just trying to get through the scene to get to the next one. So yeah, yeah for a 68 minute movie, I, I think this pacing was near perfect. Um, like I said, my complaints about wanting a little bit more story at the end are pretty minimal. It, it, it really wouldn't affect like my rating of the movie. If we rated movies here, um, it's just like a personal thing. I would have liked, I, I would like to know what happened to Orlock after this. Like, yeah. I, just what decision does he make? Maybe he decides to chop the hands off and just live without hands because he'd rather live without hands than, you know, have the hands of a killer. I, like, I, that's what I want to see. Like, literally a one minute extra scene just to show me the resolution of Stephen Orlack's uh, situation would have been so satisfying to me. But ultimately, I still love this movie and, you know, um, very little to complain about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh... I was actually listening to the commentary of this today, actually. Ah. It's done by Steve Haberman, who's actually done a few commentaries for, like, these older movies I've been watching lately. And uh, the actor who plays Rolo, uh, Edward Brothy, actually <laughs> was in another 30s classic known as Todd Brownin's Freaks a few years earlier. Yes. 
<laughs> one of my play, favorite films. Where actually. he played a knife thrower, and he was part of the Rolo Brothers. Yep. But he so, actually played a hero in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. It, it, it was just nice to see that that range, you know, because he plays like one of the nicest guys in the circus at a circus full of freaks. And then, like you said, a couple of years later, he plays an absolute scumbag like Rolo. It, both and both performances are great. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is, even like when you hear like what Rolo did, it's like he's caught his wife cheating on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's not really that bad. <laughs> like, damn. Hopefully, damn. this isn't actually a, a, a in the same universe as Freaks, because maybe that is actually our boy from the circus. <laughs> that's what he joked. That's what the commentator totally joked. This is a und- he joked like this is a undisclosed sequel to Freaks. <laughs> I like it. I, I like that. <laughs> we got a cinematic universe going. <laughs> Peter Laurie, would you like to join the universe? It comes at the end of Freaks. <laughs> oh, that'd be funny. I'm Dr. Google. Come join the initiative now. Oh, so good. <laughs> oh, but Freaks. Oh, I could talk about Freaks all day. I, I literally will. I watch that movie almost monthly. I love it. I absolutely yeah, it's, adore it. such a great movie. Ah, oh, so good. That that That's infamous with the director. It either hurt his career or... But as you remember it for it too. Yeah, too bad too, because I mean, it, it's looked back at as such an important film. Obviously, audiences were not ready for it in 1932, but it, it, it when you really think about the fact that those were all, you know, that there's very little makeup effects in that movie. Everybody actually looks the way they look in that film in real life. It was, you know, such an important film, and honestly, should be looked at. Much more highly, I think, just for the mere fact that Hollywood would allow, you know, actual circus freaks and and actual humans with, you know, physical disabilities and things like that, that at the time society would just turn their head away from the fact that they're putting them in a big Hollywood movie. I mean, this is the director of Dracula, you know, the director of Dracula's next movie. So he he definitely took a chance. And even though in the short term, it definitely hurt him. Um, because of it, he's one of my favorite directors. I, I absolutely love Todd Browning, and, and Freaks some, is a major part of it. And somebody find London After Midnight, goddammit. I want to oh, watch it. That, there's got to be a 35 or a 16 millimeter of that floating around somewhere. There Peter, Peter Laurie has it in his grave. We had to get it. <laughs> Nicholas Cage has to fucking go on an adventure and find that damn movie. <laughs> I would watch that. <laughs> I would absolutely watch it, goddamn. <laughs> an adventure to lock the artifacts of film yeah and also uh, the one last thing i'll say about mad love i i did like the effects on the hands i thought they did a really good job for 1935 to make his hands look like they weren't his like mm-hmm. they were bigger they looked like they were bigger than his original hands you know they had the scarring there on the wrist area where the replacements were was done i i just thought it looked really it's subtle but nice. Like at no point do you look at it and roll your eyes and laugh at it. Um, yeah, just really, really well done. Uh, just subtle and effective, and I loved it. And hell, it's, the, it's like the only movie the guy's ever directed, too. I think. Yeah, exactly. And hey, uh, for as much as Doctor Gogol turns into a you know absolute madman, how progressive is it that his doctor's assistant is an Asian man in 1935? Doctor Wong. That's pretty fucking progressive. So we got to give him credit for that. Yeah. I know. I know the movie's not in America, 
But any white man, any white European man willing to work with an Asian doctor in the 30s, uh, yeah, uh, he, he's got my support, <laughs> even though he turns into a psycho. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. I think that'll do it for Mad Love. So we can Mad transition <laughs> right on. We're going to go from Mad Love to a movie that might just make us mad. Yep. <laughs> we, we should have totally just trolled the whole review and reviewed the Drew Barrymore, Chris O'Donnell movie, Mad Love. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Oh, Lord. Um, yeah. So to pair that up, I, I picked another movie that has to do with uh, body part being swapped and that would be 1991's body parts so my background with this movie i i haven't seen it a whole lot but the, the very first time i caught like a little bit of this movie was um my dad took us to the drive i almost said drive through the drive-in <laughs> and we were there for something completely different and i don't remember what we were actually there for but like it was like either the second or third movie of the night and uh i just started like seeing clips of body parts in the in the background and i was like <laughs> catching my interest i want to watch it but of course since you have the audio for the movie on your own screen like i i really didn't know uh what was going on necessarily um i i think this was part of the era where they wanted to make jeff fahey into a bigger star <laughs> didn't necessarily turn out it's just too bad way. he couldn't act damn it yeah, because I mean, there was this, and I think a, a few or he just plays his character man. from Psycho Three, you know, oh, yeah. in every movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! Uh, so, Body Parts, nineteen ninety one. After losing his arm in a car accident, a criminal psychologist has it replaced with a limb that belonged to a serial killer. Woo! Venom, uh, Body right. Parts. What'd you think? All right, this was not a first time watch for me on Body Parts. I actually saw this, I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I saw it very uh, soon after it hit VHS, which was probably the following year. And I never watched it again because I was not a fan of it. I remember watching it. And even though I wasn't um, as averse with um, body part swap horror at the time, um, it just, I don't know, like very little of it made sense and very little of it was all that compelling. Like I, I didn't like the main character. I didn't like his wife. I, I don't really like much of anyone in this film. Um, you know, be it their roles or their performances, you know, maybe it's more on the writer than it is the performers, but yeah, I just remember not really digging the movie too much. So, so this was a second time watch for me, but like I said, it might as well have been a first watch because it was like, what, 31 years apart or 30 years apart uh, between watches. And I can say that 30 years later, I still don't like this movie very much. Um, pretty much for the same reasons I didn't like it the first time, I, I still kind of bitch about it. It's not a very compelling movie. Um, if I would have seen this before Mad Love, maybe I would have had a slightly higher opinion of it. But whenever we do movies, you know, for the podcast, I always watch them chronological. I'll watch the older movie first. And I think Body Parts kind of suffers because I watched Mad Love one day and I watched this the next. And yeah, it, it, you just see how much worse um, uh, the uh, the execution is here on Body Parts. They try to. You know, they try to kind of have a little bit of a swerve by giving you two villains. Basically, what Mad Love kind of tried to do, but kind of gave up on it right away. They actually do here, where we actually do have a mad scientist plus a Rolo-type character. You know, the ex-con who was executed, blah, blah, blah. 
And I don't know, I just didn't really enjoy this as much. Like I said, I, I at no point was I riveted, was I really into the story. Um, they give you no scientific explanation as to how any of this is happening, how you get a body part from someone and suddenly you turn into that person's personality. Like it almost doesn't like mad love made more sense because it was just the guy's hands. You know, a Stephen Orlock wasn't going crazy. He wasn't seeing images of murder. It just, his hands wanted to throw knives, you know, for whatever it's worth, maybe I'm just being a little bit more forgiving of the older film, but for whatever it's worth, mad love just worked so much better for me than this. You know, the fact that, um, everyone who got a potty part from this uh, serial killer who was, you know, supposedly executed is now, you know, wanting to be a psycho killer. Just it just didn't work for me as well. Um, the gore is OK. I mean, we get some gore, but it's usually like not um, on screen kills, kind of more the aftermath type thing. We kind of see bodies and stuff, but. Um, the final scene is moderately satisfying, you know, uh, when the doctor kind of gets her justice, it's a fairly satisfying little scene. The serial killer himself, he's such a joke the whole movie. Like, even though we see him driving and shooting weapons and he he just never comes off as a real threat to me. He, you know, he, he's a puzzle. He's a puzzle being held together with string and it just comes off as funny. Huh? Pun intended. Yeah, it just comes off as unintentionally funny. Like I, I was, I never felt threatened by this guy at all, and I obviously didn't feel threatened by the doctor. I mean, she's a senior citizen woman. Just nothing, nothing about her being a woman, mind you. Just the fact that she's old and frail. She's not exactly a threatening villain. So, I don't know. I wanted to like this movie more on second watch, but as I'm watching it, I'm looking at my phone. I'm checking the time. I'm upset with the fact that I'm a, you know, an hour into a movie, but it feels like I'm already two hours in and the movie's under 90 minutes. So that kind of says a lot. The fact that mad love is an hour and eight minutes, but it's so much more of an enjoyable watch than this one. That's an hour and 90. And it is actually a more fleshed out film, you know, with more character development and, and even, you know, some post you know, um, some, uh, an epitaph type scene where we kind of see our characters living their post, uh, replacement life, blah, blah, blah. Um, so even though this one definitely feels more like a Hollywood production, something that we're more used to today, I'll take mad love any day of the week over this one. The acting is better. The writing is better. Um, the fact that there's a little bit of unintentional comedy in Mad Love and intentional comedy, just it just flows so much better as an experience, as a viewing experience. Uh, Body Parts, Body Parts is an average to slightly above average film at best. I, it's not something I would call good. It's not something that I would really revisit with any regularity. I don't want to call it a bad film. It's just a lot of been there, done that. And the fact that we don't get any kind of new explanations or new science behind why all of this is happening, just it, it does very little for me. So not a bad film, but nothing that I'll ever revisit unless I have to. And yeah, there definitely no performances in here that, you know, to write home about. Though Brad Dorf wasn't terrible. Um, you know, ultimately, it's not really his movie. So, you know, he, he can't save it. <laughs> he he tried. But he no. tries really hard, but he can't. <laughs> All right, Derek, uh, opening thoughts on body parts. I've seen this movie before. Uh, I, of course, I I did watch this for the '91 show. Oh, nice. Uh, 
It didn't make my top ten. Yeah, uh, I don't hate this movie though. I, I think it's just it, it it's average. It, it, it but mm-hmm. I kind of knew what I was getting myself into with this one too because it is directed directed and written by Eric Red, and his it it is slow. I'll give you guys that, but a lot of his screenplays and stories kind of have the same setup. Like he wrote The Hitcher, Near Dark. They're they're very slow moving to begin, and then they have like this crazy batshit third act, <laughs> you know. And this one follows in suit with what he's written before, you know. But uh, yeah, Jeff Fahey's Jeff Fahey. He plays his character from fucking Psycho Three in every movie. <laughs> uh, ironically, the last movie Mike picked was Serpent in the Rainbow, and we got fucking Darjan who plays a cop in this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That <laughs> that actually made the movie entertaining. Yes, I will admit that. You were like Darjan, what are you doing? Uh, I want to hear you scream. You know. <laughs> uh, I actually like. <laughs> yeah. I like Paul Ben Victor as the guy on Death Row, though. <laughs> Fucking, uh, he's like, you got that tattoo that me doing Death Row, man. You know, there's some <laughs> fun character actor shit in this. Sure, sure. You know, like Brad Dorf. I love, I love that whole scene in the bar where the other guy's talking with Jeff. Hey, let me see your arm. I got a matching one right here. <laughs> there's some funny pun shit in this. Is it all like, is it the greatest movie ever made? No, but. Yeah, I didn't have a shitty time watching it this time because I kind of knew what I was, you know, I watched it like a year before this. And, you know, and, you know, I actually was listening to some of the special features on the Scream Factory, which I did pick up for the 91 show when I did watch this originally. And, yeah, there's some interesting stories about the movie. Is it like a 10 out of 10? Fuck no. Mm-mm. But, yeah, it's okay for what it is. It's not going to. You know, a one-time watch here and there, you know, I say, if you're curious on it, it's not going to kill you, but you might not, it's a little slow moving, mm-hmm. you know, in some scenes, but it makes sense with the director. He has, you know, he follows that same path. I think his most fast-paced movie actually is Bad Moon, which we also <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Ironically. But, uh Yeah. That's all I got to say on it. it. It's not original. It's definitely, you know, some of the science shit doesn't make sense. But, you know, I'm thinking to myself, too, would it make sense if they did explain it? Really like, that's fucking dumb. Because that's the use- thing, too, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I like explanation in horror movies, even if it doesn't make the most sense, just to see that the writers of the film at least tried to, to explain away you know, the supernatural aspect of what's going on. But yeah, this movie doesn't even attempt that. Yeah, that's true too. Mm. And, and I did crack up laughing when I see this killer, Charlie Fletcher, carrying these body parts out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny. Like, there, there's some unintentional humor in here, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the best, but not the worst in my book. Yeah, just very middle of the road. Like uh, th- th- these are the kind of movies I don't like talking about as much. Like I- I'll talk about a movie I love, and I'll happily talk about a movie I hate. We all know how crazy I get for that. But uh, these middle of the road movies, it's like, what do you say? 
you know, they're okay. You know, that maybe it was better at the time, but like I said, I didn't like it when it was new that much either. Like I recognized its flaws back then too. So, you know, it's just, it's as average as average can be, you know, yeah. if you like average, then rock on. But if you're looking for something exceptional, this ain't it. It was better than half the other shit I watched for 91 though. So I'll give it that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of the major problems this movie has, because, you know, there's a good enough cast going on, and, there's, and the concept is fine, generally speaking, but I feel like this movie gets like a tonal shift where it can't decide if, it, if it's trying to play things serious or go for straight schlock, because by the time we get like kind of our twist, like the mad scientist twist, and you, it all, it almost does kind of like the cure for wellness thing, where like it starts out as like a small thing, but then like the more things unfold, it's like whoa, what we're going here? And this movie, it, it feels like you know for the first half maybe, it's it's trying to be like straight, like a straight serious, and you know, okay, what's going on? Do I have like a possessed arm or something? You know, like it's going for that, but then it's like oh. So there is mad scientists involved, all you know, in the name of sci- scientific advancement, and it starts going for like the schlockier stuff, but it's almost too late. Like if it would have just gone for schlock the whole time and just fully embraced it, mm-hmm. or just been serious the whole, like if it would have picked one of those lanes. But sometimes it's very difficult to like be serious, and then okay, in the third act we're going to introduce like the schlocky stuff now, um, because it just it it makes it feel like it's trying to be too different types of movies competing with each other uh it would have been interesting to see if like if the movie just leaned into or stayed in one of those lanes the whole way through instead of trying to switch it up but um yeah i i think i'm kind of like along the lines of Derek. it's like there's some entertaining stuff and it's like we do get appearances from people in this cast that it's actually kind of impressive. Like some of these people are in this movie of all, all things and <laughs> see them show up and for whether it's like a scene or a few scenes or, or whatnot. Um, but it, yeah, it's definitely not one of the better horror movies I've seen. Um, but you know, I, I didn't hate my time with it, but it's not something probably to revisit uh, too often, unless like you want like the Jeff Fahey yeah. collection, you know, and you're doing a <laughs> retrospective on Fahey. You know, you know what I made this movie? I'll go ahead. I was going to say, I love your analogy of uh, comparing this with a cure for wellness, because without even thinking about it, that's 100% the same way I felt. Like, with a cure for wellness, I was solidly on board. I was really digging what they were doing for the first two acts, but then when we get the reveal of what's actually happening and how long and how organized it is, it just, I totally lost interest. And it was the same thing with this one. Once we get to the third act and we get the mad scientist reveal, I'm like, ah, really this again. And that, that's probably, you know, why, cause, cause, I tend to do that a lot. I've done that with better movies too. I mean, I, I did that with the night house last year, a movie that was universally praised, but I was kind of lukewarm on it because, and I talked about it when we actually reviewed it on fresh cuts. It's like, once I saw the analogy or once I saw the connection between the night house and another horror franchise, I just kind of lost interest. And that could be what happened with body parts is that, once I saw where the third act was going, it just kind of reminded me also of another movie that we just brought up, um, Serpent and the Rainbow, and how the third act of that movie goes completely fucking bonkers and against everything that was happening in the first two acts of the film. So, yeah, 
um, <laughs> very of the, I guess we can call it the malignant syndrome where yeah. the, th- the third act is just so much different from the first two acts that it kind of leaves you reeling. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. Yeah. I mean, the only advantage I, I guess I would give this over a cure for wellness is at least this does it in 90 minutes where cure for wellness was like, I think over two hours. I mean, yeah. I remember that movie just kept going on and on and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And I'm like, geez, like, what is this? Like a cure for wellness at like the hour and 40 minute mark. You're like, I don't even remember what movie I was watching in the beginning because it feels like this is a totally. You're like, damn thing. you, Dan DeHay, get off the screen. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's like they wanted a cure for the first half of the movie because it turned into like a whole, a whole different Thing. You were the yeah, worst yeah. fucking Green Goblin ever. Get off the yeah. <laughs> I mean, they probably, I don't know, they probably thought they're doing a good thing by going so over the top with the third act, but it's like, you know, once you establish the tone of the film, if you're going to take that much of a left turn, you better be very confident that it's something that people are going to be into. And, you know, as I've already said, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So At least, th- at least this movie had great head shotgun head explosions and like care for wellness though oh yeah by far definitely <laughs> yeah because yeah because it's like the the schlocky stuff we do get it's not that i really necessarily disliked it or anything it, it's just a matter of like mm-hmm. you're you're seeing it unfold and you're like where did all this come from from what we got you know it's it's like how did we get down this road lethal, That's lethal, what I mean. we- lethal weapon car chase and shit yeah, and well, once, yeah, you know, it's like the, it's like Jeff Fahey being all serious, and then like twenty minutes later, uh, a uh, guy's driving around with body parts. You're like, exactly. what the hell? And <laughs> for me, hell? I mean, I completely lost it when we first see um, Frankenstein carrying a shotgun and wielding a shotgun. I'm just, I, I completely lost it. Well, once we saw that guy, you know, the the serial killer sewn back up at the end, and then wielding a fucking double gauge shotgun, a double barrel shotgun, excuse me, I, I just completely lost it. I'm like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> this movie has completely lost me. Uh, and, uh, I was like, when I just saw the tank of body parts i'm like oh that that's where crank 2 got it from there you go (laughs) (laughs) oh my god and i'd rather watch i'd rather watch crank 2 any day of the week Uh, (laughs) oh and that's not even that great triple feature this with robocop 2 body parts and crank 2 and that's uh man you're a better man than me if you survive that marathon (laughs) <laughs> RoboCop 2 is the best movie out of all three of those. Oh, by far. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what much else to say on body parts. Yeah. I, you know, anyone listening that hasn't seen it, I would say it's worth checking out one time. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, just to see uh, what yeah. we're talking about here and make, you know, maybe you'll... Uh, You'll appreciate that it, it goes the schlock route in the third act, but yeah. uh, you know, I, I would say just you know check it out. Yeah, see what you got to say. And right. Suggestion, suggestion to filmmakers too. If you're gonna make a mo- if you're gonna ha- make a movie and you're gonna have a boring ass actor like Jeff Fahey play the lead, don't give Brad Dorf a secondary role in the movie because he's gonna completely outshine your star every time. So yeah, lesson learned here, folks. <laughs> Hell, even Paul Ben Victor in those two scenes he's in fucking was like great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's Carly's boo, Jeff Fahey. She's a huge fan. Oh, really? Uh, she's a Fahey fan. 
I don't hate the man. I just wish he made better choices. Some of his movies. Hey. His best role is Grindhouse. Oh, by far. Yeah, yeah. I'll go with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I don't think I have much more to say about body parts. I mean, what else is there to say? Brad Dorf nice. is awesome. Jeff Fahey's not. Zaki's <laughs> okay. Dargent is a cop. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that character actor, in, whether he's a hero or a villain, I love seeing him. It doesn't even matter. I can never pronounce his name, but I love him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, yeah, we're probably going to wrap it up for body parts and episode number 41 of No More Room in Hell. But before we do that, let's go around and figure out um, – where people can hear us, I know in the past, what, month and a half, there's been I think, new shows announced or started or new episodes at least. So, uh, Venom, I'll start with you. Uh, let everyone know what's going on in the world of Venom's podcasting. Well, my 2022 is actually going to be a lot less filled with podcasting as it has been in the past few years. I actually did end up stepping away from a couple of podcasts that I was working with. Over the last couple of years, I started a new job in the renewable energy field, which is it's going to have me working very odd hours. So weekday weekday podcasting has pretty much been limited to fresh cuts. So, you know, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on if you like hearing me, you're going to hear me a, a lot less in 2022 um, as far as the stuff that I have available um, we, I am in the, in the middle of editing, uh, the latest episode of Normal Room in Hell presents fresh, uh, Creature Comforts, excuse me, for episode five. We looked at 1966's, uh, UK released, uh, Island of Terror starring Peter Cushing. Um, that episode will be out very soon. It may even be out as you're listening to this one. Um, and then, uh, you know, Creature Comforts will be back in February with our standard monthly episode. I don't think we've picked a movie yet, though we do know what we're doing in March, but I'll keep that under my hat for now. Um, so, yeah, that'll be out soon enough. Obviously, Fresh Cuts, you know, uh, we're still Mike and I and Don will continue to put that out weekly. Um, for our latest episode, we looked at a Spanish language release called The Wasteland that is currently streaming on Netflix. Check that out um, if you haven't seen that yet. For our next episode, we're, we're going to go ahead, Mike and I, and we're going we're gonna to make Don and Ellie happy. We're going to go ahead and do our first shark movie since <laughs> Don has been an official co-host on Fresh Cuts. We will be looking at the new Elisa Silverstone film, The Requin, which is actually currently playing in theaters but it's also available on Tubi. Go figure. So, yeah, you can watch a movie that's in theaters right now for free on Tubi if you have the app. And the Tubi, Tubi. app is free. So there's no reason not to download it. If you have any kind of video game system or streaming device, grab Tubi. <clears throat> excuse me. Tubi. T-U-B-I. It is, uh, like I said, a free streaming app that has a lot of horror on there. There are a lot of horror films. You do have to deal with commercial breaks as it is a free app, but at least everything is free. So check that out. Um, and then the, that's it for me, Mike. Uh, the only other shows that I will continue to work with, um, obviously, under, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. Um, as long as Jerry Herring has the desire to record those episodes, I will continue to be a part of that. 
And then in the Mic of Madness, I actually did speak with Rebecca this week. Uh, we are planning on doing an episode in February, which are which will be our tribute to 1993. Our last episode, if you haven't heard it, uh, it was a tribute to 1981. Uh, I'm not sure if that's something that we're going to continue doing moving forward, but it's it's just something easy for us to throw together. So. Um, look out for that sometime in February, right here on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network. And that's it from me, Mike. Like I said, much less podcasting from me in 2022. Unless I start getting paid for it, then maybe. All right. Let's move on over to Derek. I know there's going to be some crossover with Venom, obviously, but uh, what else do you got in the books for 2021? Honestly, or 2022, actually. Honestly, so... Honestly, so far, Creature Comforts is the only thing I have coming up. That's boo! It. All right. No, well, well, no, boo well, boo no, that you no, have for coming out, not boo that. Uh, well, I have a few guest spots Creature coming out. They just haven't. <laughs> they have a few guest spots coming out. They just weren't released nice. yet. Good deal. Yeah, and uh, Cinema Attack will be returning. We just haven't decided what we were doing and haven't recorded yet. Cool, cool. Um, all right. Well, for myself, yeah, it's pretty much this and fresh cuts, the mainstays, um, the ones you would expect. I know uh, we're at the end of January, so February. It is a shorter, what the shortest month of the year, but uh, we'll try to get two episodes out if we can. I mean, if 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 we're back and don't have too much other stuff going on, let's uh, plan for that. But you know, uh, you never know. <laughs> yeah um but with that said let's see what else I, yeah i think that's it for me i know i recorded a burning for springwood sometime in december i just can't remember if gary already released it or not i mean i would say if if, if talking about I saw freddy's it, yeah. nightmares yeah if talking about freddy's nightmares shows interest anyone uh, you can find it on legion just look it up uh, on the Cinema B feed. It'll be there. Um, we're actually, uh, our next episode will be the final two episodes of the first season. So I'm uh, happy to say we've made it that season? far. <laughs> There's two seasons. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. And I, and I don't know if the second season has as many episodes. I, I didn't look through the episode list. but I, uh, I, I, I hope I hope they're more exciting than that episode you tried to make me watch the guests on it because I fell asleep. I <laughs> mean, I, I would love to say it is, but... <laughs> it, it all goes downhill after the first episode. <laughs> yeah, I would say... It's a type of show where, like, you're going to find, like, random gems in there, but even comparing it to, like, the other anthology shows of the time, like A Tales from the Dark Side or Monsters, I would say Freddy's Nightmares is easily, like, the bottom of those. Now, there's probably shows that that might be worse at the time, and I just don't remember them as well, but out of, like, the main big ones that where people remember the names, I I would say episode for episode <laughs> Freddy's Nightmares is the least good so far. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which breaks my heart to say because I am a Freddy and a Nightmare on Elm Street guy, but, you know, the shows rarely reflect really anything from the movies, so I can't mm-hmm. really uh, convolute the two. But, uh, yeah, that said, Venom already mentioned what's coming up on Fresh Cuts. Um, so I guess with that, uh, that's going to do it for episode 41. 
and we will get to work planning out episode 42 and then hopefully 43 right behind it. Um, does it go back? Uh, I, I don't hear. It goes to Venom. My picks. All right, Venom. Well, um, happy hunting for your picks, unless you already know them, but otherwise, yeah, uh, hope to figure it out in this coming up week. Yep, soon and, enough. Yeah, so <laughs> that's going to do it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for bearing with us. I know it's 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 been longer than usual between episodes, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it seems weird. It's already the end of January to say hopefully you had, you know, happy holidays. <laughs> but, uh, happy, all, happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, there you go. Happy Valentine's Day, folks. Happy yes. Valentine's Day, motherfuckers. And maybe we'll say it again if we get our next episode out before then. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> We'll, we'll be spreading the love. The love never stops. Where's the <laughs> love? One love, one love. <laughs> this is for Tupac. Yeah. All right. So we're going to get out of here now. Thanks for listening. We will catch you next time. Let's say bye to the listeners. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Adios, folks. Peace out. Yeah.